My name's Casey Must. I'm the owner and founder of Citizen Yoga in Detroit and Cleveland. And you are listening to After Class. After Class is our podcast that is an extension of our culture, of our conversations, of all the messages that happen in our classroom that we want to expand on to help build a more positive, connected community. This section of the podcast is our wellness section. And I am interviewing one of my very good friends, Rachel Redmond. Rachel has been studying and living Ayurveda-inspired lifestyle for the past 16 years. She suffered from chronic digestive issues since childhood, and Ayurveda showed her how to heal herself and maintain her digestive health ever, ever since. One of Rachel's favorite aspects of her work is sharing how to apply this ancient wisdom to daily challenges we face in modern life. And that's really what we're going to focus on today. Thanks, Rachel, for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you. Thanks for having me. So just tell me us really quick. Like, let's get it out of the way. What are your credentials? Where did you study? Sure. Let's start with that. All right. So, um... I, I did my Ayurveda training in Albuquerque, New Mexico with Dr. Vasant Laud, who is an Indian physician who is um, an increasingly more well-known in this country. I also studied with him in India for a few months um, and did some training there. And then after that, I went on to study acupuncture and oriental medicine. I became a doctor of oriental medicine in New Mexico and um, a certified and like a licensed acupuncturist and herbalist as well. And we both have a love for New Mexico. Yes. It is. I mean, every time I'm there, Rachel texts me like, oh my God, let me go. It's like, I don't know what it is about Santa Fe and Albuquerque. Their colors there. Yes. It's, it's so beautiful. It's, um, for me, it's my home. It's really the place. It's the home of like my spirit there, mm. even though I'm from Michigan. I live in Michigan again. But Santa Fe has a hold on me. New Mexico does. So it's really a special place. I really, I, I get that. I get that you can have a home. I feel like Citizen is my home mm. in a lot of ways. And I feel like India also is my home of my heart. Mm -hmm. But I live in Detroit. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and Rachel and I have known each other um, which is interesting how life ebbs and flows and brings you together. We've known each other since, I don't know, like sixth grade. Yes. Uh -huh. uh, our, our best mutual friend um, sort of introduced us and um, we've, we've watched each other grow and become interested in very similar yeah. um, medicines and yeah, I remember ways to when live. You, when you went to India and, and I was like, oh, that's so cool. What's Casey doing in India? I want to go there. And a few <laughs> years later, I went. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's like that. So let's talk a little bit. This um, podcast uh, is about Ayurveda. We're going to go through um, the different doshas and how to take care of yourself. We're in a fall-winter season right now, so we're going to talk a little bit about that, um, discussing Chinese medicine and this new uh, course that Rach is launching, which I absolutely love and I 100% need it. And... Um, bigger issues. Uh, I want to put it on the table right now. Ra Rachel and I were talking before the podcast just about this pressure to talk about all these really important things that both you and I, but really you, have gone through these past couple years. And let's put it out there and trust that this conversation will lead us down the right path for that to come out. Sounds good. So for our, our listeners, um, describe Ayurveda. What is Ayurveda? Sure, I'd love to. <laughs> it's my favorite topic. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So Ayurveda is a traditional medicine from India. It's over 5,000 years old. And um, it's, it's um, the word Ayurveda means the knowledge or science of life. It's a Sanskrit word. And it's, um, I would say it's a, a style of medicine that um, focuses a lot on prevention as well as managing disease. But it's a mind-body-spirit medicine. It's truly a holistic medicine in that all aspects of one's um, physical health or mental-emotional health or spiritual health is tied to their well-being. And it's a beautiful system. of, um, And it's really applicable to today's life, actually, probably more than ever. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Because we're sort of going in that, and we're going to talk more about that, that imbalanced direction mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Yeah. So um, a part of that, how does Ayurveda fit into yoga? So Ayurveda is um, considered a sister science of yoga. They're, they're sort of um, two, they're like two sides of the same coin in a way. Um, they're both rooted in Vedantic philosophy and yeah. <laughs> Yay. I'm cheering. Uh-huh. Yay. And I, I see, I mean, yoga, as far as I know, there's, you know, the eight limbs of yoga and the purpose is enlightenment or just awareness. And it's, um, and Ayurveda offers the support of how to eat and how to live and how to take care of yourself so that you can have a full yoga practice. And, and our, I mean, not to hate on Western medicine cause I'm not, but our our medicine, our healthcare system doesn't really support the prevent preventative aspect. Yes, and that is the beauty of Ayurveda and of Eastern medicine. I, f- I feel like where one medicine has its strength, the other one has its weakness, and vice versa. And the beauty and strength of Ayurveda is in that prevention. It's um, a lot of people will go to the the doctor and say, "I don't feel well. Da da da. I'm not right." They'll have their blood, you know, labs done. The doctor's like, "You're fine. You're healthy. Go." You know rest or go, you know, do something fun. And the person leaves and they're like, well, that wasn't helpful. I don't feel right. And Ayurveda has this beautiful way of looking at the progression of disease. There's actually six levels of disease progression until you get to a diagnosis. So there are many, many, many opportunities to turn it around. So what are the doshas? So the doshas, um, it's actually a really difficult word to translate from Sanskrit. It literally means impurities. But what it has to do is it's these bodily forces in the in our physiology and in our mental emotional temperament, and they are um, what happens is a, a dosha or this energy can get out of balance when something goes off. Like if we're exposed to, let's say, we're sitting in a cold room, we're exposed to that element of cold, and then the doshas will slightly go out of balance, really to reach a place of homeostasis mm-hmm. and its own balance. But the doshas, you can say, are are the mind-body types of an individual. And there are three main doshas, and they're based in the five elements. And we all have all aspects of all three doshas. But what makes us what's different and unique, and which makes no two people alike, um, is our different, uh, let's say, proportion of each of the, the three doshas. Mm. So um, let's start with one of them. Where, where, do, you, where do you begin? Sure. Um, when I speak of the five elements, I always talk about them going from ether. There's the, I'll tell you the five. There's ether, which is like space, air, fire, water, and earth. And there is 
a linear progression in a way from the most subtle element to the most dense. So ether being the most ethereal, you can't really touch it or hold it, whereas earth is the most uh, material, the most dense. You can feel earth, you can hold it in your arms, it's heavy, heavy to lift it. Um, and so the and so the three doshas are a combination of um, the f the five elements in different ways. So that we have vata, which is predominantly um, ether and air elements, and then we have pitta, which is predominantly fire and water element, and then we have kapha, which is predominantly water and earth element. So um, we're going to go a little bit into them. We'll start with Vata because sure. I feel like we always start with Vata. Yeah, I always start with Vata. It's just, it's the most, um, I don't know, it's easiest for me so for some reason. So Vata, we can talk about um, like a person who is, yeah. um, so there's sort of these characteristics of each of the three doshas. So a Vata type person, they might um, tend to have like a, a slimmer body frame, a small bone structure, kind of have like a, a light body, and that is because they're influenced by the ether and air elements, the most like t intangible. Um, and when vata is balanced, vata has everything to do with movement in the body. So mm. it, it governs our respiration, our circulation, um, our just the the peristalsis in the intestines, which is the muscular contraction that helps to deliver the food throughout our intestinal tract. Um, but in, and then you look at the doshas also in the mind. So, mm. so vata governs the movement of our thoughts and, um, and the activity of our mind. So if there's, let's say, um, you know, let's say there's a vata imbalance, which we can talk about, there's going to be an unrooted feeling in the mind or maybe a lot of anxious thinking or overthinking or you can't turn your brain off when you're trying to go to bed at night. And so um, there's the balanced version of each of the doshas and then the imbalanced version. So what happens when it gets out of whack? So what's a balanced um, expression of vata? So a, a balanced expression of vata would be someone who, um, let's say, and, and of course this is going to vary, but this is sort of maybe a classic picture, someone who loves to, to move and to, you know, move their body. So um, creative expression through movement, um, like a balanced vata might be a very artistic person um, in some way. Um, they would, they you know, love to to move around, have a lot of good energy to do things, mm -hmm. and um, their body is working healthy. That their digestion as well. They have solid energy, good sleep. Um, those would be some of the expressions of a healthy. So when you're practicing yoga, um, what are some really good uh, vata poses to balance vata? So this. Um, brings up one of the beautiful aspects of Ayurveda, which is this idea that like increases like and opposites balance. And so we're always, when, we're, when I'm thinking of Ayurveda and working with a person, I'm always assessing what qualities are, let's say, out of balance. So mm -hmm. a vata person who is, um, you know, predominantly these ether and air elements, mm -hmm. those qualities could be light or cold or mobile or fast. And when those go out of balance, we need to apply the opposite. So the opposite would be slowness <laughs> and heat and um, like I feel like you stability. told me to eat cookies. Okay, so like... <laughs> cheese. <laughs> cheese, cheese, cheese. Oh, yeah, cheese. So um, I'm very vata. Yes. Uh, very cold, too. Yeah. And very windy. Yeah. And um, very moving. And so when Rachel was working with me, 
Um, she, I interpreted it as I could eat cookies and cheese and that's basically what I started to do. And I was like, wow, this is so much fun. I'm yeah. eating cookies and cheese. So that um, might be a, like a, a little exaggeration of it, but I, I think I did say that cheese was probably yeah. fine for your body because it would be balancing as long as you can digest it, I digest it and have a strong enough digestive system to handle the heaviness of cheese. Cheese could just be grounding. It could add that grounding nature that Vata people sometimes need. Well, let's, um, I'm, I'm going to placehold us on what okay. yoga poses because sure. I think this is important and you and I talked about this. Food. Mm-hmm. Good, bad, oh like, God. yeah. I can go on I, this. Yeah, I know. I, I forgot about this. We This is not even in our, our questions. Yeah. Uh, good, bad food. So um, first let's start here. One of the things I learned in Ayurveda is that what what is what is one man or woman's medicine is another man or woman's poison. Mm. And this is such a profound concept because it takes away what is good or bad food. There is no good or bad food for people. I mean assuming that it is food and we can talk about like other things that, you know, things that are sur- sold in the grocery stores that are processed and full of, you know, not good stuff. And that's, you know, junky food. But when it comes to just regular food, um, it depends on the person and yeah. what is, we have to take into account a lot of factors. What is their digestive capacity? What is their health like? What is their activity level? Activity level? Yeah. What is their current um, level of balance or imbalance? And so food really becomes, um, I try to use food as medicine, but it can be in funny ways sometimes, like saying to eat cheese. <laughs> yeah, but I, that it's really interesting that you say this. It reminds me of um, when we talk about happiness, joy, positive relationships with things. Um, one of the primary things that I think is important to realize is that there is no object that that holds our happiness. So just as there's no like good, bad food, there's also no object that is makes you inherently happy or inherently sad because it's a projection. Um, It's dependent on our needs, our mind, who we are, our behaviors. And a lot of times I think we seek outwardly for something to make us happy without realizing, I mean, the example given is, you know, one one person you want to break up with is another person that somebody else wants to be with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, cheese can be, I mean, if they, they most people listening to this podcast, either hopefully some of you guys have heard my lactose intolerant family story that will come out one day. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, cheese is, is like that. There's so many opinions around, uh, of course, animal treatment. And, you know, I was vegan for a long time, but it, buying good ingredients is not the conversation we're having. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the ingredient itself, and um, it, it's yeah. important. And there's a lot of emotion around food. There's a lot of emotion, and I think one thing that's often left out is what is our capacity to digest it? I mean, my funny backstory, like the real reason I got into Ayurveda was because I wanted to eat cheese and pizza again. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> no, amazing. No, ice cream and pizza. Ice cream and pizza. <laughs> because I was lactose intolerant for my whole Childhood. Well, I mean, that seems to be a common thread between us. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I had digestive issues, which is what got me into Ayurveda. But what, I mean, I think what I found so incredibly interesting was that I didn't change my eating habits um, at first. What I did was I, I learned to meditate, and I learned to calm my nervous system, and I learned how to start coping with some of the stress and the anxiety that I had always been under. Yeah. And that healed my digestive system. 
I didn't. And after that, I was able to eat cheese and pizza, <laughs> ice cream and, and pizza. And there's so much. I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about Chinese medicine as well, but there is so much involved um, in relationship to your mind and your stomach, mm-hmm. your mind and your digestive power. Um, and yoga really does help to heal that. In mm-hmm. uh, any mindfulness practice is trying to help heal that yeah. so that you can digest your life. I mean, that's really what it is, a rejection of what you're putting in your body in a lot of ways is a rejection of your experiences of your life Mm -hmm. and how, again, it goes back to how do we heal those things? It's, it's, there's so many ways. And that's what it was for me. I was not digesting the experiences of my life. I had, there had been some um, difficult things going on, some challenges and just, what um, things? uh, My parents got divorced. My mom had been sick for a while and just, you know, um, being a teenager and having a tendency towards anxiety and finding my way in the world and not having any coping skills. Yeah, which has been, I mean, I think that that's a theme that we're touching on if you're following this podcast um, through all the different interviews. Everybody's sort of saying exactly what I really believe, which is we're not taught our coping skills, Mm -hmm. proper coping skills at least. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about balancing vata, Mm -hmm. What are, just give me two, just two yoga poses. Two yoga poses. So um, um, tree pose can be a really balancing uh, one for vata because it's really grounding. You have to really focus on rooting yourself Mm -hmm. into the earth, but still having that uplifted, expansive um, aspect. So, um, and, and working on balance. So... And I, I've, um, I teach it a lot where the knee is at the wall. So mm. if you're in tree pose, the lifted knee is touching the wall and there's, an, there's a relationship between it. It's not just that the wall is supporting you, but you're pressing your knee into the wall, which gives a more expansive experience across the pelvis, uh, but a much more grounded, mm-hmm. supported feeling in the pose. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And then another one um, would be like a forward, like a wide legged forward fold on Pado the floor. Tanasana mm-hmm. or, okay. Mm-hmm. So wide legged forward fold. Uh-huh. Okay. I, that's great. And that's because um, the, the pelvis is the site of vata. And so by f- folding into that area, you're really activating um, the, the area that can be really soothing to vata. Mm-hmm. And as well as um, some of the nervous system, there's a lot of nerves that will run, of course, through the, the sacrum and the spinal cord. And anything that's going to help calm the nervous system is going to be supportive of vata. Mm-hmm. And it's very grounded pose. Yeah. So then let's talk about pitta. Okay. So pitta is the, the dosha that is, um, is fiery. It's mm-hmm. com- composed of mostly fire um, and a little bit of water. And... Um, Pitta. Who's Pitta? So what, are they, what are they like? So Pitta people, you can think of um, someone who is a really ambitious, high energy, um, uh, like physically they would have more of a moderate body frame, um, moderate bone structure, maybe very athletic build. Um, they probably love competitive sports. Um, Pitta people have that fiery nature. So they might, um, you know, be really good leaders or just very intellectual and love school and um but they can be very fiery as well like Mm -hmm. have that um aspect of being very temperamental and prone to rage or violence or things like that i remember you had said in one of our workshops like um like a bald man can burn the hair (laughs) off of his head yeah i like love that that's like the image i use whenever i think of um 
Pitta is like just a bald man with a few hairs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I know that's like it like I made it a very cartoony thing. Yeah. But it but seems like, like that heat, to me. Heat rises. So Pitta people contain a lot of that fire within. They maybe they have red hair or red beard or something. And um, yeah, my teacher, Dr. Laud, would say a Pitta guy is going to you know, the heat, he's going to have so much heat, it's going to burn the, the hairs off his head, he's going to be bald, and he'll probably have glasses, because the eyes are, are one of the secondary sites of Pitta, and the eyes are a place that express a lot of heat and fire, mm -hmm. and so there's that, um, can be a weakness there in the eyesight. So what's an imbalanced Pitta person? So an imbalanced Pitta person will be prone, each of the doshas will be prone to a certain set of digestive issues, but Pitta people are prone to more um, like inflammation of the digestive tracts, so things like ulcers or colitis or um, any inflammatory thing. They could have loose stools or diarrhea, um, and um, Pitta people may have skin issues or rashes, um, and mentally they might you know, have a lot of t tendency towards anger or irritability or um, even, like, very critical of themselves or other, like criticism and judgment. It's like a mm. very judgy nature could be an aspect of a pitta imbalance. So then how do you, what are, um, I know we didn't do this necessarily with vata, but let's talk about food for pitta people. Mm -hmm. Like, what would, you know, we did yoga poses for vata because we can't cover the whole um, right. dosha course right now, but <laughs> yeah. like, let's talk about food. Like if you were in a pizza imbalance, um, I know that you'd probably want to eat like spice. Um, you'd want to. So you want to have things that are more cooling. Right. Yeah. You, like you, you what I mean is like, spice. you'd like it. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you'd like to eat yes. more spice, more fire, more heat. Yes. A lot of people crave what isn't necessarily good for them. So right. let's say Vata people who are already maybe cold natured, they might crave a lot of salads or want to eat tons of salads. And that is not necessarily the best medicine for a Vata person or someone with a Vata imbalance. Whereas <laughs> a Pitta person, um, probably, you know, if they have a lot of heat in them, they might crave more um, hot, so like spicy sauces and chilies and coffee and alcohol and things that are going to generate a lot of heat. So um, for them, it might be finding things that are more cooling. Um, you always think of where you are in the season and your location, your environment, because there's a dosha associated with your um, geographical location. So the doshas of Santa Fe, let's say, are going to be different from what we're exposed to here. And you have to think of the season and also your own unique constitution. So what's ours in Detroit? So, I mean, we're right now, it's more of like a kapha location. Yeah. Like it's like it's heavy, it's dull, it's cold out, it's cloudy. These are all kapha wet. natures. Yeah, it's wet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're, oh, we're, let's move to Santa Fe. Yeah, that's Santa actually the, that's what we've concluded. Yeah. And the conclusion is move. move. Santa Fe is more Vata and Pitta. You have a lot of the, the lightness and the brightness and the ethereal quality of being actually in high altitude. And it's very dry there, which is very Vata. So different things like that. So you said like attracts like. Mm -hmm. Both you and I are much more Vata. <laughs> let's go to the Vata land. Yeah. Let's get more ungrounded. Yes, I know. I love it. Um, so what are some food examples that would balance our cooling? So um, so foods that are cooling, you can think of coconut and cilantro and even white mm. basmati rice or ghee. Um, spices would be like cumin and coriander. Um, you could do like fresh ginger is more of a warming spice, but it's not as heating as dry ginger. 
Okay. So like a pitta person could still use a little bit of fresh ginger to ignite their digestive fire, but not overheat themselves. It's not like a green chili or something. I feel like when you said that, I got colder. Like you, you, the, even the way you said like coriander, I was like, ah, I feel better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just said it so nicely. Uh-huh. So then, um, kapha, kapha, actually, Tia's, um, I was, I was studying with T.S. Little and he was saying that, um, the Sanskrit doesn't really have a fa uh-huh. sound. And so you call it kapha technically, Oh, that's which amazing. is, uh, you know, we all have those things. It's like, my thing is, you know, Urdhva which is upward bow pose is not wheel pose uh-huh. you know, that everybody calls it wheel pose which is chakrasana you know yeah. everybody has their hang-ups yeah well um, that makes a lot of sense because i have heard kappa before yeah and um i i think dr lod he kind of shifted things a little bit to to fit western. the western mind mm-hmm. so maybe he was saying kappa and people were saying kappa and he just changed his pronunciation of it yeah so um it's just interesting how that you know it's ayurveda is an oral tradition so oh, interesting. It was it was for thousands of years an oral tradition before it was written down, wrote, written down into the the three main texts. Yeah. So there is, of course, with an oral tradition, an element of of change and shifting that might happen cool. a little bit. So what is kapha? So kapha types, let's say, are the type of person would be someone who is um, they're you know have more of the um, water and earth elements. So those elements are going to be heavier and cold again and kind of uh, maybe damp or um, kind of soft or dull. These are the things. So a kapha person might be someone who has a, a like a big bone structure. They're more like wide shoulders, a little bit heavier set. Yeah. Um, we describe it, them sometimes as like honey. Yeah. You think of it like honey? Honey. Yeah. yeah. Like honey. There's a sweetness to a kapha person. Yeah. Um, and um Kapha people, they they're very they can be very grounded. So they might you know more prefer to stay at home and read a book versus go out and do like you know ten thousand jumping jacks or something. Yeah. Um, kapha is um, is is dense and um, and uh, like there's a nurturing aspect. There's an earthiness aspect to kapha. So um, it can be very just like like a kapha person can be very loving and compassionate and grounded and like the earth mama of the, f- the friends. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side, every dosha can have its imbalance. So a kapha imbalance would lead to things like a sluggish digestion or more of a slow metabolism, which yeah. could lead to weight gain. Um, things like, um, like phlegm or mucus or congestion, those things are all aspects of kapha. So, okay, we have those doshas. I know that when you work with clients, you um, help them to sort of figure out what dosha they are. We prescribe different rituals, which we're not going to go fully into all the rituals because there's so many. Um, I will get to that a little bit in the end. But um, now you and I have talked about now Chinese medicine mm-hmm. and w- sort of like where do these two sciences or medicines, where do they, where do they meet? Like what, what is, why Chinese medicine? Cause I am a huge advocate for Chinese medicine mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. So, um, so Chinese medicine, obviously from China. So another country in what we call like the more the Eastern part of the world, um, Chinese medicine is also thousands of years old. And the way I see it is that each system is trying to describe reality mm-hmm. and they're just doing it. It's like two different languages to describe the same reality. Mm-hmm. They're both accurate. They're both um, useful, but they just describe it in a slightly different way with different models. 
but they're 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 both valuable. And Alex is going to come on. Alex is our acupuncturist who works out of Citizen. She's going to come on and talk more about um, Chinese medicine and the elements of Chinese medicine. Uh, but one of the aspects that you and I have discussed uh, is the yin and the yang, mm-hmm. and how the yin and the yang for you have a lot of meaning, uh, and sort of talking about like what is yin, what is yang, and and what does it really mean in your life? Mm-hmm. Okay, so. So yin and yang is the kind of one of the core aspects of Chinese medicine. It's one of the first things you learn if you go to, you know, acupuncture school. Um, or you were in the 90s and you had a yin-yang. Right. I said, whenever I refer to like a patch on my backpack, yes. I'm like, oh, it's a yin-yang because yeah. it can't be a yin-yang. Right. Like it's too, you yeah. can't have that that way. Well, that's a good point. I mean, there's a, <laughs> a lot of people say yang and that's fine, but the pronunciation yeah, is, is yang. Um, but yeah, I used to doodle the yin yang symbol oh. like on my notebook. Oh like, yeah, like whatever. Also, what I, you know, all sorts of things. But um, but anyway, yin and yang is this really this um, this core uh, concept of it's really speaking to the duality of of nature, mm. and um, that while things may seem opposing, like yin um, seems to be like an opposing force to yang, and I can talk more about that. But really, they're they're interconnected, they're complementary, and they're interdependent. And so um, it becomes a really important lens for which you can look at your life and see um, how to find balance there. And that's what I've spent a lot of time thinking about. Yeah, I think there's a lot of rejection to, um, in the mind specifically, of good, bad. Like, we want to clarify everything or define everything as uh, is good or bad. Mm-hmm. Like it's either good or it's bad. It's yin or it's yang. Mm-hmm. And it's not both. And the wisdom of this, these practices is, is seeing how, you know, we can really work together to create a much greater sense of balance. Mm-hmm. Like they have to, because you said like the word interdep- interdependent, like they have to meet together. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, you don't pick a partner. Um, I mean, you could, you'd have to work hard, but it's, like and like, um, create more fire, mm-hmm. more imbalance. And so really trying to find, even though the balance part, which is interesting, it's sort of like relationship advice. Um, you're saying like, Bata people want more salads. I understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, the like and the like and the like. Mm-hmm. And that's our nature. We try to go towards things we like. And we have mm-hmm. to sort of train ourselves spiritually to go into the things. Not that you have to dislike things. Because eventually mm-hmm. the dislike turns to like. There is a transformation in that experience. And so looking at yin and yang and which one do you tend towards? And then how do you just poke a little hole of balance? Not completely uproot your life. But how do you find that little moment of balance in your day-to-day? So what, in your experience, um, made you realize that yin, yin was lacking for you? Because I know that we've talked about that. Um, I know that our society is more of a yang, mm-hmm. yang um, society. Well, one of my Ayurveda teachers was very um, influential and inspiring to me. And, What's her name? Um, Dr. Claudia Welch. Mm-hmm. So she Where is, does she work at? Um, she is based, I think, in the East Coast, but mostly I think she probably teaches online now. Okay. But she wrote, um, she's written a couple of books, but she wrote this one book called Balance Your Hormones, Balance Your Life. And for any woman at any age, I recommend to get this book, especially if you're hormonal, menopausal, any of that. Anyway, so Dr. Claudia 
is an, an Ayurvedic practitioner, but she's also a doctor of oriental medicine. She went to the school that I eventually went to. Mm-hmm. And she has this way of synthesizing um, Ayurveda and Chinese medicine to speak about the hormones in a way that is brilliant and revolutionary and nobody else has done it before. Awesome. And so it when I learned about it back probably in 2011, 2012, I was like, this is what, this is my work. I need to help people find the balance of yin and yang, which essentially for women is how do we, you know, create opportunity to calm our nervous systems and to um, to understand that we live in a culture that is yang, in, we're in a yang imbalance culture. So our culture prioritizes the aspects of yang. So that would be things like um, activity, energy, productivity, doing, mm-hmm. um, kind of an outward expression of our of our lives, where yin is more of the the slowness and the stillness and rest and sleep and that um, kind of that counterforce to that that grounding that more in internal inward direction. Yeah, I feel like um, when I look back in childhood, I I think I have a lot of shame around sleeping. Mm. I think sh- sleeping is a, a strange thing. Like sleeping is bad. You yeah. know, it's a ne- it, sleeping has a very negative, like even though they're like, oh, you need sleep. Yeah. But like if you sleep too much. Yes. Oh, so, bad on you. So this is a direct thing that I learned from Claudia. This is like a, co- a quote from her. Basically, she said, when we're hungry, we eat. When we're, you know, cold, we put on a jacket. But when we're tired, we think, what's wrong with me? Oh, I love that. You know, and it's like there is some shame around sleeping or that we should be doing other things and that we can sacrifice our sleep in order to do X, Y, and Z and get ahead. But everything needs its balance. And so we need to balance our activity level with sleep. And just this idea of, um, you know, not doing that is really creating harm in our own physical bodies, our mental, emotional well-being, and we see this actually on a global scale. Our yeah. our world has got this imbalance as well where we're taking more than we're giving back. And um, in yang is all about heat, and we're like literally heating up our world. We're not replenishing And there's so the much agitation. I mean, mm-hmm. that's really what it comes down to, the agitation of not being enough, mm-hmm. the agitation of not doing enough, of not being as productive. There's so much pressure yeah. on all of us. I mean, it's yeah. like a hot cooker of your heart. Not right? even your mind. It's like your heart. Well, I think that's such a hard thing when speaking of things that would be more yin. It's like, well, how do I sleep more or contemplate more or rest or just do less? Is like, well, you start to have to demand, dismantle the things that come up. Like, well, I have guilt around not doing things. Or who am I if I don't have X, Y, and Z to speak of? And it's um, there's such a deep, deep inner work to do, to do to start to create more balance and harmony between yin and yang. And just to put it in the context of mind and intellect, the mind, the nature of the mind is that it never has enough. Mm-hmm. And so what, to me, you're really saying is that our culture, the, the intellect is very yin in a lot of ways because it's reflective, contemplative, mm-hmm. uh, tejas, mm-hmm. right? Tejas is brilliance. Mm. It's, it's, it, there's a, an objective in some ways kind of idea of, what we're looking to be mm-hmm. and everything about our world, I feel is very reactive. Mm-hmm. Even our phone. Like it, if you don't text somebody back, you know, it's like, it's so intense. And so it's like, we're being like, there are booby traps set up for our mental health and we're just like stepping at them along the way. Right. So when you were, um, when you go through stressful periods and we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, what brought, out this new let's talk about your program and mm-hmm. where your program came from and 
Sure. Yeah. And I, I just want to go back and say one sure. thing so it's not confusing to someone who's really deep into this knowledge mm-hmm. is that um, is that the idea of Tejas is really this, this super mm. fine essence of Pitta, which is the fire, but it goes back to show how they're interconnected and they're not opposites actually. And they're, they're, right. they're mutually informing. And so you can't separate actually out the yin from the yang completely because they're, they're connected. So they're like everything has its own refined side. Yes. Mm. So that's why it can. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. So why, what's your new program? And okay. you know, like, Talk yeah. a little bit about your story. Like sure. they love, we love <laughs> to hear people's stories. And yeah, you know. I'd love to. Okay, so um, a little bit is that I've been um, in like a clinical practice of Ayurveda for for ten years. Some of that was well, you know, very much on the side while I was in Chinese medicine school. But I've been seeing um, clients of Ayurveda for years. And then I added my Chinese medicine piece and acupuncture. And I I specialize a lot in like women's hormonal health and digestive health and sleep and anxiety because that goes along with it all. Um, and what I found was that, you know, everybody really wants to feel better, of course, but, and we're often, we're like looking for the thing, like what's going to give me more energy, what's going to be the right food to eat, but we're missing the basics. People mm. are, um, so many of us are missing the basics of like, how do we get proper sleep? How do we align with the circadian rhythms? How do we figure out what our doshic nature is and how do we eat for that or for the season? And so what I've created is an online course that teaches the foundations of kind of the essentials of Ayurveda and Chinese medicine as I see them, kind of the distillation so nobody else has to go to as much school as I did. But you can have the fine points, which are really how to set up the foundation of your own life so that you can eliminate a lot of discomfort, um, symptoms, potential for disease, and um, and even this need to do more self-care because when you are sleeping, you know, aligned with your own mm. energy and your the, the rhythms of nature and the season, you are doing self-care. So you become, you learn to embed self-care into the foundation of your life. And then there's a lot less need to like have self-care as a separate entity. As a separate. Because that's really what it is. It's, it's like one thing. Your self-care seems to be this thing that sits separate from your day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. And th- I think that that's part of the inherent problem with this yeah. whole trendy idea of self-care right. is that it sits outside of your life. Right. And if you look at it from the yin and yang perspective, I mean, self-care, it becomes stressful. It becomes another thing to check off the to-do list. And in my mind, that's just a more activation of that yang energy, whereas we want to bring up the yin. So how could self-care be kind of this um, in integral part of your own life? And I mean, self-care can simply be like sitting in traffic, but with awareness and mindfulness. Mm-hmm. It becomes a practice that you can embed in your life. So you can like go get a massage when you want to, but it's not like, oh, I have to do this so I feel sane. Yeah, mm-hmm. I get that. And so um, where did you feel like, tell a little bit about oh, your sure. story of what, you know, why this came about. Because sure. I, I think that from when I met you, mm-hmm. you were very embedded in... Um, Ayurveda, not that you weren't in Chinese medicine, but I think something really distinctly shifted. And I think telling your story just a little bit Mm -hmm. um, will help them put the whole piece together. Sure. So, so yeah, um, 
I'll quickly give the last like 18 years of my life, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, so much of what I learned through Ayurveda was I came to a, a daily meditation practice and that, and I mentioned that before, but that was um, life changing. I was only 19 when I started my daily meditation practice and that um, started to help me cultivate um, a capacity for awareness, I would say, and mindfulness. And then, you know, fast forward many years later, I go through all this, you know, life and training. And I, I have these foundational tools embedded already in my life. And so when I um, went to try and my, I got married and um, my husband and I wanted to start a family and we um, conceived our first child and we were so excited. And um, five months later, you know, at um, around 20 weeks, um, we learned that the baby I was carrying, our son, um, had multiple fetal anomalies that were very severe and um, it was possible that he could, um, you know, survive the pregnancy and childbirth, but he would have to live a life, a very medicalized life of um, his, his, he was missing part of his brain and so would need extreme medical intervention and would um, not, and would live a, like, I'm not yeah. even sure, yeah. you know, a we very difficult. Yeah, you don't, yeah. you don't, yeah. Yeah, don't no justification. Exactly. Thank you. That, that, That's where you went into that a little bit. That is my work, don't, actually. Yeah, don't defend it. Yeah, so so we were, um, so my husband and I made a choice to terminate the pregnancy. Um, and um, when I was just 21 weeks pregnant, I was, uh, was close to five months pregnant. And um, obviously that was a devastating um, a choice to be confronted with, a choice to make. Um, but I knew, I knew in my heart that I, I couldn't bring a baby into, like, with such a, a broken physical body into this world. Like, I just, and, and I've, you know, just <laughs> the caveat is, like, everyone's going to make their own. I've, I just feel really passionate that everyone can make their own choice, and there is no right or wrong choice. I mean, right now, I'm speaking of abortion. I had what's considered a late-term abortion. Um, and, and I just feel so much that that was the right choice for me and for m the child I was carrying and for my family, but that there is no right or wrong about, about abortion. I don't know. Yeah. It gets, gets kind of heavy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh -huh. but I think that uh, it goes back to sort of this seed of why are you defending your choice? Right. Right. It's ingrained to me to feel like I have to defend it and I'm actively working to know that, you know what? That's, that's my work of, of not needing to justify or defend myself, um, making other people try and understand from my perspective what happened. But really what it was was um, the loss of a child, the loss of a pregnancy, um, one that, um, that was a, a huge devastation yeah. to my life and to my, um, my sense of who I was. I mean, suddenly I, I found myself actually as a mother. Like the moment I had to make a choice about my child's well-being was the moment that I became a mother and um, and then learning to handle this new identity a lot of people when they become a mother they have to deal with this identity shift but I had to do with it while grieving while mm. grieving the loss of what I felt should have been but couldn't be mm -hmm. um, and at the same moment I moved across the country from Santa Fe to East Lansing Michigan yeah so looking back I see that that's any change or transition in life is going to be a vata imbalance and I had just lost like community all sense of my foundation my social support my I mean I knew people around right but um, I'm also a little bit far from citizens to show up there every day and really get that support that I I think I could have used um, yeah. and needed 
but so there was just a lot of go- lot of stuff going on, and um, it was a very devastating time in my life. And actually, this idea of the yin way came to me in that moment. It the yin way for me in that time was how do I um, give into this pain? How do I surrender to what I feel and not try to mask it or not try to get busy on top of it, but really feel it and really allow myself to process it so that I can digest it and transform it and eventually accept the loss um, that I experienced. And it's, I mean, that, I think everybody sort of asks themselves that question. We try to avoid what's painful. So Mm -hmm. it goes back to sort of like you avoid, even from a dietary perspective, Mm -hmm. what is good for you. Right. And sitting in discomfort, sitting in grief Mm -hmm. is actually at times very healthy. Um, Obviously, I'm not a uh, Mm -hmm. mental health professional in that way. But, you know, just from your story and what I know of you, uh, learning how to hold yourself. That's Mm -hmm. really in what I what I've heard from you. It's like, how do you hold yourself in that time. Yeah. And, and I mean, in some ways I'm so lucky cause I had this so many years of a foundation of Ayurveda and Chinese medicine. So I could lean back on it and lean of all the things I had learned. And, um, I remember learning that, you know, in yin and yang, when you allow anything to reach its maximum, its fullness, it must transform to it, to its mm, opposite. I love that. So I knew that if I could just be like present with my discomfort and fully feel it, that it must transform. And if anyone's had that experience where they like just, they often we resist our pain, our discomfort, we push it, push it until finally we have a breakdown and then we feel it. And then we feel some release after like we cry or we have some relief and that is it transforming. And so I, I started just this really active process of like, how do I feel it fully so that I can transform it? So what, um, I, it's, it's funny cause I sometimes, I don't know if this is such a strange thing to share, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> um, I feel like, uh, when you're really PMSed, mm-hmm. so I have PMDD, uh, Rachel knows that cause we've talked about it and, um, my PMS gets to like a really intense degree, mm-hmm. not as much anymore just due to a variety of things, um, mm-hmm. taking care of it. But, um, you know, that last day before you get your period and then you cry and you're like, why am I hysterically crying? But like, you can't get, for whatever reason, the barrier between you and mm-hmm. the next phase of your hormones is is crying. Yeah, it's like the moment, the day I cry, I'm like, oh yes, it's happening. Yeah. Like something has come to this like really intense moment where I can no longer hold it. Mm-hmm. It becomes it, it becomes bigger, and hormones have this. I mean, they are so powerful. Uh, it becomes bigger than you and it has to transform itself into a release in some way. Yeah. And it's such a great example because that last phase of the cycle, like that PMS phase is yeah. this intensely yang phase where the mm. first day you start bleeding, you transform into the yin. And so it's that transition, that transition from yang to yin or yin to yang that can be very, very challenging for people. Even, painful. Even waking up in the morning or going to bed at night. That's another transition from yin to yang or vice versa. And so those transitions can be very challenging. And so it's like this idea of bringing more awareness around those. You know, going to bed specifically, I think I probably already gave this um, sleep formula because I talk about it all the time that Adam gave me. Um, And we tend to surround ourselves with yang things when we're trying to do a yin activity. Uh 
you know? So true. Right? Like, here's your phone. Uh Here's your TV. Here's your computer. And one of the most simple things for my life was to pull all the yang out Mm -hmm. of my bedroom. Like, how much my phone out of my bedroom has impacted my quality of sleep is immense. Agree. Same for me. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, sort of starting to see see how we can make those small little shifts. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk to me a little bit more about like the yin way? Like, yeah. So, um, in some ways, the yin way. Is yeah, like just describe. Not even the program. Just yeah. Like, what is the perspective of that? Yeah, because it's it's hard to describe because because um, it's rooted in um, this this Taoist philosophy and so which is indefinable it's indefinable and um and once you try to define it like think of you know this is so funny because my I have a son now and he's um almost two and he loves to play at the sink and he will just spend forever trying to grab the stream of water coming out of the faucet and I'm like oh this is so like this is so like this yin yang thing because you you see it you want to grab it but as soon as you try to close your fist around it it's gone and so it's this idea that, um, uh, I mean, for, for me, the yin way is, is so much about acceptance um, in life and about what is. But for how I want to bring it out into the world is that I see that there is just such this imbalance in this masculine female energy in this um, activity versus inactivity. Um, and that for there to be more balance and harmony in people's life. Um, I mean, I work a lot with women, but this totally applies to men. I agree. Um, that um, if, if we can start to embrace this, I mean, I see this as we need a cultural paradigm shift or a cultural revolution. And um, that seems like a, a big undertaking, but I think it's already happening, actually. It's already like in the consciousness so that the more people who are in line with this message can step up and say, you know what, I want to be part of this shift. I'm going to start with me because where else can we start and build community and awareness uh, around this? Um, Give me five, um, five yin tips. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Let's see. Um, All right. So, so one would be get proper sleep or try, you know, or this could be an intention. How do I um, sleep enough? Um, Two, um, Okay, my brain. Um, she has mom brain. It's okay. <laughs> totally mom brain. We get it. Um, I would say really practice and cultivate um, mindfulness and awareness. I mean, that is so key. Um, and and maybe having like a, a contemplative or self-reflective practice like journaling or meditation or walking in nature, but really um, developing that um that ability to look within, that to turn that focus from the external, the yang, to the internal, yin. And um, maybe add one ritual, so we're on three, but add one ritual from Ayurveda that you practice that's mm-hmm. very yin promoting. Sure. So my favorite one, <laughs> it's definitely one. hard to practice with a kid and with busy life, but um, is the abhyanga, which is the oil massage um, that you give yourself. So you are lubricating your whole body in oil. In what a, kind of oil? Um, it depends on your dosha, but in wintertime and um, when it's cold out, sesame oil is used. It's the most balancing for vata, but we're in a vata season. Um, and the beautiful thing is that oil is, um, the Sanskrit word is sneha, and sneha means love. Mm. So every time that you like anoint your body with oil and massage it, you are 
practicing an act of self-love and self-care. And um, it can be deeply calming to the nervous system. It can benefit digestion, balance the hormones, make the skin look beautiful and glowy. It's this um, all-around practice that is really profound. Do you have one from um, either another one from Ayurveda or Chinese medicine? Um, Anything dietary? Okay, so... um, so dietary, I this is kind of part of a longer conversation, but when we think of yin, we think of what's going to be building and like um, n- really nourishing deeply. And yang is that's what's more cleansing and eliminative. So things like that could be like lots of leafy greens would be very like cleansing and eliminative, more yang. So something with that would be more yin would be something like a root vegetable or sweet potatoes or... Um, things that are kind of like heavy and a little bit oily and grounding. And um, if you need a little bit more yin in your life, you could potentially add some things like that. Great. And then any last like behavior, day-to-day? Um, let's see. I would, I mean, I think that that practice of, of watching your your thoughts, your own internal rhythm, starting to really question why you maybe eat the, the way that you do, why you exercise the way that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, start to see, like, well, what is my body asking for and what am I being fed, like, um, social media-wise or culturally, and are those two things um, in alignment? Like, do your values line up with the with your life and, you know, the, the expectations that maybe you've put on yourself or that others have? And just starting to question things, starting to, like, stop and pause and be like, hmm, do I really align with this? Does this is this really my value system the way that I'm living? And if not, what can I do to start to shift that? Yeah, it's interesting because when you stop to question, it's really a yin experience. But then to change it, you have to power up with your yang. Mm-hmm. And if you're trying to do those two things, mm-hmm. yang and yang, um, then you're going to be worn out. Like there's going to be really less change, less transition, less shift that's going to occur in your life. Right. And and we want these two forces, the yin and yang, to work together. We need our strength. We need our backbone. And we need that energy to fuel us. So there's, again, yang is not wrong. And there's nothing bad about it. <laughs> but we need to just create that more balance of yin and yang so that we can be free to like live our lives and discover, you know, joy and contentment and and feel our, our health and our vitality. Yeah, sometimes it feels like contentment is, we like deny ourselves contentment, like it's wrong to feel content, which is different than um, feeling like you're settling for something. Contentment is not settling for something. It's, mm-hmm. it's a different experience. It's an active. Yeah. Because it, it, contentment is something that you have to actively mm-hmm. feel and yeah. seek and, and, practice and, and practice. And practice. Yeah. Um, well... If you want to um, see Rach, uh, she practices out of citizen yoga. Uh, obviously, um, you do it over video or phone. Um, or yeah, lately I do Zoom calls. Zoom calls. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can find her information on our website under wellness. Uh, but her, her practice is in East Lansing. Mm-hmm. What's the office that you're practicing out of um, in person? It's it's actually my own office now. Okay. I moved. It's in Rio Town, Lansing now. Okay. So, yeah. Great. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, all of her information is on our website, and she is going to be offering this year a, a a portion of our 300-hour module, but an immersive weekend talking more intense, in-depthly about Ayurveda um, and its relationship to yoga. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I and, can't wait. I love it. I love I, it's the- so fun. <laughs> yeah. And thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You drove down from Lans- uh, Lansing to come be with us today. And it's been so wonderful to learn. It's both a combination of learning new information and sharing your story and being authentic. So thank you. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Yeah. Thank you.